Turn your Bibles over there to James chapter 3. That's kind of where we'll be. Sort of, kind of. be bouncing around, mostly inside of James, because there's a lot in here. Um, and obviously we won't be able to get to all of it, but first 12 verses is where we're going to start. And of course, the first part of that is beginning with teachers. I'm not, I'm not going to deal so much with teachers because... Um, well, because I just don't want to. I want to get, I want to get to the, to the part where it kind of gets to everybody. Okay, so not many should become teachers. Okay, so let's let's move on to the, the problem that we all have, or have had maybe at certain times. The tongue. A teacher can have that problem, and a regular human being can have that problem. That, sh- that shouldn't have came out like that. Anybody can have that problem. Is what I mean. If we all have tongues. And we've all used them right. We've all used them wrong. Sometimes we do it when we're thinking about it, and sometimes we do it when we're not thinking about it. And it just happens. We don't say what we should say or say what we shouldn't say. And everybody stumbles. James says if you're able to keep your tongue in check at all times, then, yeah, what else do you get to worry about here? If you could do that. But, man... I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't do that. And I definitely can't do it on my own. And that's the, I think that's the big point here, that, that the tongue, no matter what we do to try and control it by ourselves, will never be controlled. The only way we can hope to control the tongue is by letting Jesus control the tongue. But even when we let Jesus control the tongue... We hurt each other, we say wrong things, we lie, we cheat, we do all these things. It's just, unfortunately, the way we are. There's all kinds of tongues in the Bible. How many people can think of somebody right now in the Bible, a Bible example of somebody getting in trouble by what they said? Anybody, anything jumped anybody's mind? Peter, yeah. Okay, Peter. Like the guy on the video yesterday said he had that foot-shaped mouth, right? Yeah, he's got a foot-shaped mouth. Moses, okay. Simon. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Thomas. Thomas? Yeah. Okay. Good old Downton Thomas. Ananias and Sapphira. What? Oh, Thomas the tank engine? Sure. Yep. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he's told a couple lies. <laughs> Sure. And you see all the illustrations that James uses here for the tongue. And they do, they do fit very well, don't they? Such a small thing, and yet it controls a big thing. Yes, like that small rudder that controls this big ship. So small and yet so deadly. Verses 5 and 6 there, he says, So the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. Great forest fires by this small tongue. It's a fire in the very world of iniquity. What's interesting is that this, this tongue is setting things on fire over and over again. But in the end, what happens? The tongue is set on fire by the fires of hell. Tongue could be setting fires all over the place, but eventually that tongue is going to reap what it sowed. It's going to reap what it sowed. And, and it, it doesn't start with the mouth, though, does it? Tell me where the, the, it starts. The heart. And that's where I want to go back to something Jesus said. And let's go back to Matthew chapter 12. 
There's a lot of examples here in Matthew that I want to use about where this all stems from, and not that you don't know it, obviously, because even those that didn't answer this morning, I know you know that it doesn't just start with the mouth. There's something engaged before that. Verses 30, start in verse 34 with me in Matthew 12. <clears throat> he says, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which what? Fills the heart. Yeah. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. The evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless or useless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. It starts in the heart, though. It always starts in the heart. In fact, let's go a couple chapters over to Matthew 15. And I want to... There's 20 verses here that I want to look at. And I want you to notice how it's structured, too, because I think it gets... When, when, I, when you see the structure of it, or at least what I think is the structure of these 20 verses, you can see what the emphasis is in, this, in the middle section here of, the, of that section of, of Matthew 15. So I'm going to read it a little differently. And so just, just follow along, and I'll explain why as I'm going. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now look at 15 through 20 with me. Peter answered and said to them, to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, false witness slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Now you see some of the emphasis here in, the, in this closing section, but you notice how they're very focused on hands. Why are you not washing your hands? These, this outward show of, of being clean. Outward shows here. And then look at verse 3 through 9. He answers and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, On your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever shall say to his father or mother anything of mine you might have been helped by, has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And thus you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, these, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Now look at verses 12 through 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard that, this statement? And he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. In those two sections, you see they've gone from outward shows of, of inward cleanliness here, washing the hands problem, to these guys are blind. Jesus says they're blind guides and, they're, and they're, they're following. And if you're a blind man following a blind man, you're going to fall, both are going to fall into a pit here. And why are they blind? 
Because that previous section there, Jesus says, your hearts, they're far from me. You're teaching doctrines and precepts of men here. You've forgotten who really is in charge. And your hearts are far from me, and therefore you're blind. Which gets you right to the heart of the matter here in verses 10 and 11. And after he called the multitude to him, he said to them, hear and understand. Not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. And that directly ties into when he's explaining to the disciples there that it comes from the heart. It's not what you put in that defiles you, it's what comes out of you. Because what comes out of you is what's in you, if that makes sense. It's not what you put in, it's what's already in, whether or not you're going to be defiled. You're a blind man. You have, you have more preoccupation on, on the outward cleanliness than the inward cleanliness. Excuse me. And that, that tongue is speaking what it knows. That tongue is saying what it knows. In fact, go over to uh, Proverbs and see that this isn't a New Testament only problem or even our problem exclusively. It's a, a problem from long, long ago. Uh, 18, 1 through 7, I want to look at, actually. And you could really read the rest of 18, but I'm going to only read the first seven verses here. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. When a wicked man comes, contempt also comes, and with dishonor comes reproach. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. To show partiality to the wicked is not good, nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. A, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. That kind of reminds me of a little bit of James in there too, doesn't it? You know, there's a little bit of James in, in Proverbs 18, or maybe there's a little bit of Proverbs in James. Vice versa, either way, because it, it's written by the same author, so... It's going gonna, it's gonna to have a continual theme through it, right? So it, the, the Proverbs from way back when, Adam and Eve in the garden, tongues, lies, deceit, it kills. Kills, it kills, it kills. Now, go back over to James. Here's where we'll probably sit in James for the rest of the lesson. Maybe. It's a definite maybe. <clears throat> But you see James 3, if I can get there, you see James 3, and the tongue is not a new part of the discussion. It, it runs through the book of James. Because you see in chapter 1, you see some tongue things. In very, verse 26 of, of James, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not do what? Bridle his tongue. But he deceives his own heart. The man's religion is worthless. It, it mirrors what's coming up in chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5. It's, it's all the tongue. It's all about what you say. And, and in verse or chapter 2, there's where Proverbs 18 kind of pops up, this personal favoritism, this rich man or poor man. It doesn't matter who you are. You pay respect to both. You talk to both the same. You don't address one as better than the other. 
And you're doing that from your heart again, but it's coming out, out of the mouth. You could also do it non-verbally by ushering the man to a different seat, but you're still speaking. There's still some speaking happening there. But what I really want to look at is chapter 4, because James discusses the tongue in detail in chapter 3. And I'm not going to get to the part uh, the 13 through 18 of chapter 3 just yet, but that will come into play. But you look at chapter 4, and again, it's more of a, here's the um, theoretical thing about the tongue. Here's, here's, here's the good, good you know, metaphors and all these things. And now here it is in practice. Here's what's happening with your tongues in this very place. Verses 1 through 4. He says, this, this is the cause of worldliness. This is the curse of worldliness. This is, this is what your tongue is doing to you and what your tongue is doing to everybody else around you. That's where he says, what is the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source, is not the source your pleasure that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Again, what's the problem here? Your, your, your tongue, again, it's revealing the, the heart that's in you. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So James lays out the curse here of worldliness. This is what's really at the heart of the matter here. This is why you're having trouble. Because in your heart, you want this. And in your heart, you're going to kill for this. You're going to lust after this. And you're going to get it. You're, you're not going to ask for it. You're, you're going to ask for this, and you're not going to get it. You don't ask because you don't. It's, it all has to do with the tongue. So if that's the curse and the cause of worldliness, James doesn't leave you on the hook. He says, if this is where your problem is, let me give you a solution to the problem. That's where he goes on in chapter 4. Because 5 through 10, I think, is James solution to that worldliness, to that tongue problem. If you have a hard time wrangling your tongue, here's what you do. He says there in verse 5, or do, you not th- or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. He wants us so bad. It's interesting that the, the jealousy word there and the lust word that he uses in verse 2 have similar connotations. One, though, is leading one direction, and the other one is leading another direction. This lust over here in two, you want the, the, the hedonism. You want more and more. You can't get enough. Here, James is saying, he wants you so badly. He desires you so much. But it takes you in a completely different direction. Verse 6, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Man, that's exactly... If you go back to chapter 3 again, and you look at verse 15... He's saying, he's contrasting wisdom here. And again, that's another, another theme in James. You want wisdom there at the beginning of chapter 1? You know, we want to know why you're going through this. Ask for wisdom. God will give you wisdom. Here's the opposite of that wisdom. 
The wisdom that comes down, that does not come down from above, it's what? What does your translation say? Mine says earthly, natural, demonic. Does anybody have anything different? Earthly, sensual, devilish. That's good. Okay. Earthly, sensual, and devilish. That is very good. And that, that, that almost gives you... I, I like sometimes putting things into, into numbers. And there's three, th- three things here that this, this wisdom that is not from above is. Earthly, sensual, devilish, or earthly, natural, demonic. The very first thing, earthly, speaks of its absolute nature. This is the nature of this wisdom. The nature is is no farther than just this earth. That's as deep as that goes. As deep as what you can touch, taste, and feel. That's as deep as that wisdom goes. It's natural. It's nature. Then when you get to natural or sensual, like, like that translation says, this is the origin of that kind of wisdom. It's based in just sensual things. It's based in what makes you happy, what makes you feel good, what makes it fun. This is the origin of it. And the results of that, I think, are the demonic or the devilish like she has there. Demonic. The results. This is the result of that wisdom. It's base. It's it's just no deeper than the surface level of this earth. It's all about pleasure and in the end, it's demonic. It leads you nowhere else. And that's where he says in verse 16, jealousy, selfish ambition. No wonder you get into chapter 4 and he says, that's working in you. That, that selfish and jealousy is, is working here. But the wisdom that you should strive for is verse 17. The, that, is from, that is pure, that is peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. So beautiful and, and so distinctly different, too. There's no way that you can confuse those two. And I, I, I got another three for you, too, because I think when you get into chapter 4, it might reveal something of of what's happening at the current time, the people he might be writing to, and maybe it's just a common problem in man. But after he gets through saying, this is the cause of your worldliness, and then you get through the, okay, if that's, that's going in you, then here's the cure for worldliness. You, you submit yourself to God, you draw near to him. And then in verse 11, he says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. And I think there's three things here that, that he's saying in this revealing kind of this, this three-step problem in their, in their thinking here. <clears throat> when you got these, these three things, it, it's talking about how you kill Three different people at once, I think. This tongue, this, this thing that's in our mouth that's, that's attached to my... I'm not quite sure how it's attached. It's got that thingy and the other thingy. All that, you know. I'm not a doctor. But it's attached to myself. This thing can kill three people at once. It can kill me, the person who's saying things. It can kill the person that I'm talking to. And it can kill the person I'm talking about. And kill three people all at once. It's a very powerful thing. It's a very hard thing to control, just like James says. Very hard thing to control. And what, he, what he's saying there is, I think there's, there's three things here that he's saying, if you're doing this, then this is what's working in you. Number one, your, your, your mind is not at the right place. 
Your mind and your heart are not at the right place. Because if your mind and your heart are in the right place, then the tongue's not going to say the things that are going to kill your brother or your sister. And if your mind and your heart is not in the right place, then that tongue is working. And that tongue is landing those blows that he talks about. Whether it's just you or it's dragging a whole bunch of people with you. The mind, the heart, and the tongue here need to be working in conjunction. And for these people right now, maybe that's their problem, but I don't think we're probably too far off in a lot of times. I don't know how many people, have you, have you ever said something bad about a brother or sister behind their back? Have you ever had somebody say something bad about you? The answer is, yeah, duh, everybody has. And it hurts, doesn't it? It doesn't hurt so much when you're the one saying it. It kind of feels good sometimes. Get it out, right? Doesn't that feel good? Talk bad about... You don't ever like to talk bad about Kurt? No? Oh, okay. <laughs> you're easy to pick on, Kurt. Sometimes it feels good, and but that feeling good is because my heart's not right. It shouldn't feel good to talk bad about you or anybody. It shouldn't feel good to, to hurt people. But we do sometimes, so easily, so hard to control it. And who controls that tongue? We have control, but we need, our, we need help, don't we? Okay, yeah, yeah. Because if it's just for me, I'll, I must confess, if it's just me and I'm just trying to control my tongue for me, then I'm, I'm done trying to control it, and I'm going to let the colorful metaphors fly. Because I can't do it on my own. If it's just for me and just by myself, then I'm done. I can't do it. We've got to let Jesus take our mouth. We've got to let Jesus take control. In fact... Go over to Matthew. See, I told you we wouldn't stay in James. Matthew 19. Um, I forgot about this one, but Matthew 19. Well, it's just this one little. Twenty-three through twenty-six. So I think the um, I think the principle here is is good too because Jesus is saying it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, here's another hard thing to do as a human being. But just like James, he says, "Here's your problem, and here's a solution to that." Jesus says, "Here's a problem, and here's a solution to that problem." Verse twenty-three. Jesus said to his disciples, "Truly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven." And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, then who can be saved? That's almost like, you know, James saying, you need to control your tongue. And then you say, who can do that? I can't do that. You've laid out a case, that, a, very, a very very good case in chapter 3 that I can't control my tongue. And that my tongue is dangerous to me and to everybody around me. And James says, okay, well, here's the solution. Just like Jesus says, don't worry about it, guys. Here's the solution. Who can be saved? Looking upon them, Jesus said to them, with men this is impossible, but with who? God. God, all things 
All things are possible. And James, I think, is, is saying the very same thing when he gets to chapter 4 and he says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Submit yourselves to him. Do this. No, it's not possible for you to do it on your own. No, you're going to hurt yourself and your, and your brothers and your sisters and all those with your tongue. And you're going to do it over and over again. But with God, it's possible. And when we make the mistakes and we still do it, what do we do? Ask for forgiveness. Follow our brother's example this morning. It's, it's a little odd to have a, someone come forward before the sermon. <laughs> but, it was, but it was great. I mean, the, the fit, everything kind of fit together. Uh, so many times that, that kind of stuff does fit together, doesn't it? For whatever reason. Yeah, I, I think the Spirit's moving. God's working. Things fit together when you don't think they would. Because he's working. He's working on your heart. He's working on our hearts. As we try to control the very uncontrollable thing that James says is very uncontrollable. He's working on our hearts. He's working on how we talk. Because how we talk reveals how we think. How we think reveals what's in our heart. And if he's not in our heart, then how we talk and think is going to come out just like this. And just like normal, actually, or what is not really normal, but is the new normal for man without God or man without Christ. So Jesus says, get yourselves ready because it's not impossible to get to heaven. It's not impossible for a rich man to get to heaven. It's not impossible for anybody to get to heaven. But it is impossible to do it on your own. So, like, like um, God said to Job, you know, gird up your loins. Let's, let's go. Put your skirt on, Nancy. Buckle up, buttercup. Let's go. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But it can be done. I, I like what Paul says. Okay, another one. 1 Corinthians 16. And I'll, I'll, I'll uh, let's see. I'll PC it for everybody so we don't have anybody offended here today. <laughs> we'll do the PC version. Just kidding. Verse 13. I like, I like this. He says, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Number one, he says to be on alert. That's what James is kind of saying too. And that's what Jesus is saying too. Be on alert. Be watching. Be ready. James says, watch that tongue. Be on alert. Know that it is a, an extreme danger and that you've got to watch it. And then he says, stand firm in the faith. If we're on the alert for this tongue and we're standing firm in the faith, then our hearts, our minds, all of that is, is geared in the right direction, then what should come out of our mouths is going to be good. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Act like men. Now, that might be the unpolitically correct thing to say today. But he's just basically saying, have that courage. 
you, you be courageous. Be courageous in that faith that you're standing in. Don't be a coward. Don't fall back. Don't, don't, don't retreat. Stand firm. Be, faith, be faithful. Act like men. Be strong. Be strong. And do everything in what? Love. That's, I mean, if, if we love one another, then chapter 3 of James is, is not going to lead us to chapter 4 of James, the beginning of it at least. If we're doing everything in love, it leads us to that cure for worldliness over there in 5 through 10 where we humble ourselves and we draw near to him more and more each day. And I, I like that what James uses here is, is a lot of nature things, this fire and, and these, these animals. Because he's saying if, if nature can be consistent, and nature is consistent, then you can be consistent. I want you to be just as consistent as the properties of fire. I want you to be just as consistent as, the, as these animals that human beings have, quote-unquote, tamed or not tamed. I want you to be just as consistent as those things. God's made things consistent, and he's made a way for us to be consistent, to be consistently in him, to be consist- consistently... I'm going to say that so many times it sounds wrong. To be... Oh, I can't say it. Consistently... Is that right? Consistently. Okay. Okay. Good, good. How do you say that again? Consistent. 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 You say enough things fast, or, or long enough, they, they start to sound weird. Be consistent. Be consistent in Him. And that's the only way we can be consistent, is in Him. It's the only way our tongues will, will ever be under control. That's the only way we'll ever really humble ourselves. It's the only way we'll ever be drawn near to Him. As hard as it is sometimes, it's the only way to live life right. To be in Him. And to be consistently in Him. To always be in Him. Even when nature, origin, and results, these these earthly, natural, demonic things are pulling at us, be in Him. Don't let our tongues get away from us. He's saying, be a Christian. Be, Be what you are called to be here. And it's hard to do that in their world. It's hard to do that in today's world. But that's your challenge for this week, is to be consistent in Him. So that even down to the very tongue, this, this small thing that you don't usually think about until you've said something wrong, or you thought something wrong and, and it's come out, and it's, it's not usually a thought on my head on, on taming my tongue, tame my tongue, tame my tongue, unless you're really working on that. So make that a, a desire this week, to work on that tongue. And be consistent in Him, because it's the only way that we're going to live the life that he's called us to live, to be consistently consistent in the one that is constantly consistent. All right. Do that this week. Tame that tongue and be consistent in him this week as we stand and sing.